0: I'm Felina Jean and this is Black Broads Abroad. I'm an international woman of leisure who said peace out to the United States in 2011 and I have not looked back except at this ass honey. Since then I've lived on four continents with traveled to over 40 countries. Along my journey I've come to know some very compelling black women from all over the world who also said fuck you to their comfort zones. I created this podcast To inspire black women in the diaspora to take risks and live their very best lives. So this week was cool. Um, I started a 21-day abundance meditation with Claire Suarez of Up in the Air Life, who is also today's guest and a group of like over 100 other people. So I have to admit that I've only sporadically made meditation as a daily practice in my life. But each and every time it's yielded amazing results. So this week in doing it, you know, I honestly feel more enriched and more present, except that I had quite an embarrassing faux pas with the group this week by accidentally sending a very obscene meme into the group chat. I don't know if you guys have seen those um those dick gag gifts, but but it's like beautifully packaged no pun intended chocolate phallic candy and it comes with a message that says eat a dick i thought it was hilarious and there's someone in particular i actually want to send it to but i certainly did not mean to send it to a group of over 100 people who are embarking upon a deepak chopper meditation journey sorry claire other than that, you know, we get all of the movies late in this part of the world. So Queen and Slim is just premiering here in South Africa. And I belong to this exclusive expat women's group in, in South Africa. So one of the ladies posted, let's go do a field trip to see Queen and Slim. And my response was, I want to see it. And I've heard that it's excellent, but I'm not feeling Lena Waithe at the moment. And if you want the tea on how I feel about that, then tune in to the new segment of episode three. But anyway, this turned into a long, drawn out, unnecessary diatribe about African-American women versus continental African women and the home wrecking nigerian chick who played harriet tubman and recently sang at the oscars whose name i won't mention but who has a long standing history of going in on african-american women my only suggestion was that she keep that same energy and the distaste that she has for african-american women and both her professional and her whole endeavors because let's not forget, she did vie for the role of African-American shero Harriet Tubman. She is singing on Oscar stages that the likes of Hattie McDaniel, the first black woman to get an Oscar in 1940 and had to accept it at a no blacks hotel in L.A. Hattie McDaniel, an African-American woman, opened the door for her to be singing on that Oscar stage. And not the least of which, she ain't have no problems with busting them Niger cakes open for an African-American woman, that is Lena Waith, allegedly, and destroying the home she built with her African-American wife. I mean, that's like me having a recorded history of talking shit about South African women and then vie for a role to play Miriam Akiba. And then being mistress to some prominent South African woman. Fuck out of here, home record. I'd actually like to interview her. But anyway, this conversation caused like a whole rift in our little expat group because one person in particular just completely conflated the issues. She's like lamenting, I'm so offended that you'd have this to say about African women and can't we all just get along, blah, 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 kumbaya. History tells us that all your skin folk ain't your kin folk, and that's that on that, period. I got to put a muzzle on this 90047 mouth of mine because that shit could have easily went left. But now the, um, the elders uh, want to host a Ponderosa, as Jackie Christie calls it. To have a dialogue about relations between Afro-Diasporic women, which is a great idea in itself, but I haven't decided if I'm going to go or not. Anyway, um, that (laughs) that thing that happened and meditation, wusa, and business minutiae have been the makings of my week. So enough of my soapbox. Stick around for the interview with Claire Soares, who is the founder of Up in the Air Life. She has built um, a multi-million dollar luxury travel company, initially as a part-time job while she was still working in corporate. And she spills a lot of high-grade tea about making your dollars work for you in countries with excellent exchange rates and building um, a nomadic digital lifestyle. So stick around for that, but first. Let me tell y'all motherfuckers what happened. Last week, I just want to give a big hearty thank you to Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden for giving us the best read of the century this week. I mean, he's known for saying off the wall, old white man shit on the regular, but this week was an absolute gift. So while he was out stumping for the election, he had this to say to a supporter.
1: I was a democratic caucus. You ever been to a caucus? No, you haven't. You're a lion dog-faced pony soldier. You said you were, but you're-,
0: you're... <laughs> Child, not a lying dog-faced pony soldier. And you know what? I even went and did a bit of research to see if it was a real thing. And apparently it's not just a bunch of malarkey. See what I did there? It's a 1950s Western. I appreciate Joe Biden's command of obscure vocabulary references. He doesn't have my endorsement because I'll never vote for a white man again on any election, including captain of the Homeowners Association. But I digress. I've just been practicing using this phrase all week. In response to the Alabaster American Becky that was on Twitter named Petro Naughty, whatever that is, she had this to say in response to the Twitter meme floating around. Thank God I'm a black girl, so I don't have to pretend to be one. It's always that one white girl that has to interject. And I guess she thought it was witty to respond in kind by saying, thank God I'm a Caucasian girl, so I don't have to pretend to be one. And then she goes on to expound by posturing herself as an expert of black women by proximity of being fed black dick that my man who is black talks to me about all of that, referring to black women's hair. He was never attracted to black women. It's not right to wear someone else's hair and black women do it the most. I don't usually respond to this kind of foolishness, much less from a snaggletooth embryo that most likely signs their name with an X. But I had time that day, and in an effort to try out some new vocabulary words introduced by Joe Biden, I have this to say at Petrov Naughty. You're a lying dog faced pony soldier. Ain't a black woman on this planet buying your mangy lice ridden hair follicles by the bundle. This hair is Malaysian boo, Brazilian, Peruvian. We ain't checking for no alabaster American bundles. Okay? Bye. In other news, singer Erica Badu has launched a new incense fragrance inspired by the smell of her vagina. The incense will be called Badu's Pussy and is part of the launch for her new one-line store, Badu World Market. I hmm. should send a few over to at Petrovnati on Twitter. Teodorin Obiang, vice president of Equatorial Guinea and prolific sugar daddy to your fave reality stars and Hollywood actresses, has been fined 30 million euro for using public money to fund his lavish lifestyle. The fact that this man wears a conch in 2020 is crime enough. If you're so inclined, go look him up on Instagram doing the absolute most. Anyway, Obiang, of course, denies the charges, saying that his money comes from legitimate sources. This is not the vice president's first time at the rodeo. In 2016, Swiss prosecutors seized 11 luxury cars belonging to Obiang. Also in 2016, Brazilian authorities seized $16 million worth of cash and luxury watches from him and his delegation. Prosecutors said Obiang has plundered his country's oil wealth to buy luxuries, including a private jet and Michael Jackson memorabilia. What a travesty. I know his sugar babies are looking for a replacement already. Well, the coronavirus continues to spread, and the first case in Africa was recorded in Egypt this week. Since the outbreak of the deadly virus from Wuhan City, China, more than 64,000 cases of coronavirus have been diagnosed around the world, and 1,363 people have died so far. Health officials warn the virus could spread to two-thirds of the world's population if not controlled. Shit, I'm about to be in the airport with a goddamn space suit on. Protect your neck in these streets. And that's it for... Let me tell y'all motherfuckers what happened last week. Until next time. Clara Soares is the founder behind the million-dollar flagship startup company Up In The Airline. As a former sales executive at a Fortune 500 company, Clara was a road warrior traveling over 1,000 flights during her sales career. Throughout that time, she learned the ins and outs of the business, of travel, and in 2013, channeled her love for luxury, champagne, and exotic destinations into, into her successful company. Claire and Up in the Air Life have been featured in the Walmart Black Girl Magic Campaign, the Airbnb Inaugural Black Travel Leaders List, USA Today, The Huffington Post, Essence, Ebony, The Root, Rolling Out, The Grio, and other online publications. Welcome, Claire. <laughs> Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this interview. I'm so thrilled to have you as a guest. <laughs> Thank you.
1: I'm happy to be here. I can't wait to talk to you.
0: <laughs> so let's like get right into it. Like you recently um, encountered a freak accident in Zambia where you broke your leg while whitewater rafting and you were transported to Johannesburg where you underwent surgery and you're now back home in Mexico. How are you doing? How are you doing right now?
1: Now I'm actually doing great. Um, it's been one hell of a journey. Um, it's probably, you know, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy (laughs) for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's definitely like something, you know, people joke to me that when you, you know, go through some type of injury that usually it's the way for the universe to kind of clear things anew. And the one thing that happened from breaking my leg was literally like, it cleared a lot of things out for me, whether it was people, whether it was things, it cleared things, it also opened things and reset things in my life. So it forced me to be still, which I wasn't. I kept saying I needed a break probably for the last eight months. And literally I broke you my got, leg. Oh
0: my <laughs> oh my words are so powerful. Oh my goodness. I mean, it was a pleasure to see you again. Like the the circumstances yeah. absolutely sucked. Um, but I was glad to see you. It had been like five years, like just a little bit of background. Like I met you in 2012, um, mm-hmm. I had known you from, um, the mutual travel group that we were in and I had missed my flight to Haiti. It was my first time meeting you and you so graciously oh, yeah, right. in your hotel in Atlanta. <laughs> that was my first time. That was time crazy. Yes. So when did your, when did your black broad abroad adventures begin? And what was the first country you actually fell in love with? Wow, so my
1: first country that I ever went to was the Bahamas, actually. So I had been to Nassau, Bahamas with my, with my mom and one of my good friends, and we stayed for a week. And it was my first stamp. it was just so amazing. Um, the islands, just being able, the thing I liked about it the most was the people and the food. Hmm. So um, I remember we stayed at Atlantis, which was like um, on Paradise Island. Across oh, my God. From- Is it still there? Yeah, it's still there. It's still amazing. Um, I have not been back to the Bahamas in quite some time, especially after the, the recent hurricane that they have. Right. I have a friend that's on the ground, you know, volunteering and doing creen- cleaning in Ibaco. But I have not personally been back in a long time. I'm overdue.
0: Oh, Wow. So, okay. So, your background is you were a high powered sales executive, literally broken billion dollar deals, and you started up in the airlife as a side hustle initially, and you've managed to turn it into mm-hmm. a multi million dollar boutique travel company in less than five years. That's like a maze ball. <laughs> what, what was your inspiration you. to, go, to go full throttle and leave corporate America behind?
1: You know, it's a good question. When I started the company, I was just doing it because I was planning yacht week. And then over time, the company grew. And then the only reason why I ended up quitting my job mm-hmm. um, was that I was just going through a lot of challenging things there with like not being promoted, you know. And I literally went from loving my job to going into like a depression where mm-hmm. um, I wasn't happy there. I had been passed over for promotions. Um, I was in this really premier role, and then I was told the role was ending. Uh, and meanwhile, maybe six months prior, they hired a white uh, younger gentleman who ended up taking my job. Wow, um, And so it was just the circumstances were just very dicey the way that it all happened in working with HR. Um, and so after that, um, I kind of spiraled into a depression and I ended up taking time off. I suffered a miscarriage. And when I had a miscarriage, when I was kind of taking a break for the first time in my life that I ever had more than like four weeks off, I had actually decided at that point, like I'm probably not, I'm going to quit once I come back. I wanted to, you know, everybody wants to get their ducks in a row. Like you talked about how you went abroad and um, how you just made a decision to move to Brazil. And, you know, I made the decision and I was like, okay, it's going to be this date. So I set a date and I didn't have all my ducks in a row, but that was the date. And I remember the day I resigned, like it was a little bit shocking, I'm sure to some people, because i had been there, like, I want to say like 13 years at that point. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah, and so it definitely was like a funeral, you know, there was a grieving process um, and, you know, having to leave something that I had. Been involved with for over a decade, had developed friends with people who had children, and so it was a very painful process. But it was the best decision that that I ever could have made. And you know, the only thing I regret is that I didn't have the courage to do it sooner.
0: I mean, you kind of just like casually mentioned, yeah, I was just doing Yacht Week. Okay, could you explain (laughs) what Yacht (laughs) Week? It was just
1: yeah. So. Yeah, so Yacht Week is this event done by this company based out in London, and they have one week where they rent, um, and they host about 15 to 30 different yachts, and what most people don't know is that a yacht is just anything on water. So it could be a catamaran, which is like, you know, what you see typically in the Caribbean if you go on one of those day tours, or it can be a monohull, which is one of the boats that you go underneath, and they have cabins, and so Yacht Week is one week of sailing and they pretty much play techno music the entire time. There's parties at each island, and it's all done through Croatia, and they have other cities as well. Mm-hmm. And so when I initially was planning for, like, people that look like me, um, we planned a group trip to Croatia.
0: What year was that? And then that was
1: our first – this was back in 2013. We released it, and we went 2014.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: then last year we hosted a mega yacht in Croatia, so that was, like, a nice rendition. Oh, my goodness. That, like five years later, you know, first year we were on like monohall budget boats, which is cool. It's an amazing experience, but we just leveled up and we were on a <laughs> yacht
0: In a major and way. So,
1: um, yeah, like it's definitely been about everything at up in your life has been about like stepping the bar up, leveling up. And we've learned a lot along the way from being, you know, initially marketed as an upsell travel company to being in the luxury space. And so now like a lot of our time now is spent on leveling up the experiences, making sure they're all like truly luxury because there's just levels of luxury. And that's the thing that you find out, like in the space, Um, just like, you know, with anything, if you're staying at a hotel, like they could, all the hotels could be four stars, but there's different varying degrees of a four-star hotel. And so making sure we do the due diligence and making sure we listen to our clients when we have a property that is not, you know, necessarily the best kind of making those things better. But that's kind of what we do is just kind of just make sure that we're bringing the magic and people can go places to make sure that they're experiencing the ultimate time they couldn't have planned without us.
0: You know, like, just in my random, in my random as travels over the years, like I've been in Istanbul, I've been in Nairobi, mm-hmm. I've been in Paris, and in each of those places, I've just randomly met black people and struck up conversation. And they have mentioned up in the air live. I'm like, girl, your name is ringing bells in these streets. It's been wow. So, it's been so amazing to um, to witness your trajectory and like the way in which you have leveled up like these past nine years. It's just amazing. So one of the things that I love is that you specialize in bougie black travel, um, which is definitely <laughs> I love that because it's definitely something that was needed in like the black travel space. And we became acquainted through a black travel group back in 2011, and there was kind of like a chasm in the group between like young people that are like you know into backpackers and are is it backpacking and like hostel type travels, which is cool. And then there were like you know those in the group who like a bit more luxury in our lives. So when I wonder, when did you know that you could fill this void in the burgeoning black travel movement?
1: You know, it wasn't until our first trip was Croatia, and that was the first trip. And then after that, we did a trip to Mexico um, shortly after, and then we did a trip to Colombia. It wasn't until our third trip to Colombia. I remember my friend asking me, like, what are you guys doing? Like, I thought you were, like, doing yacht trips, and now you're doing, like, destinations. After Colombia, the following year, we had, like, 10 different trips. So that's when I felt like, you know what? Like, you can do this. And over time I had accumulated, um, a large event program. So we started doing events. So there was like a lot of big ideas. And I think it was more about, I don't always know that what I'm doing is going to be successful, but you reach a point and I'm at this point now where I'm not scared. So, and I'm okay that something doesn't work out. So I think probably one of the biggest core differences in someone who is an entrepreneur Um, And not is that a lot of times for entrepreneurs, like we're going to try things and we're not afraid of someone viewing that as a failure. You know, like we look at every opportunity that, you know what, that kind of looks good. I'm going to follow my gut and I'm going to do it. If it doesn't work out, you just switch up and do something else. And so I think being able to step past that fear, even though you have a level of fear, but being able to step out and doing things that you believe in, that you have this like grandiose idea. Like we have a new trip coming out, um, which is on a super yacht. And oh, so wow. we went from Croatia to we went to the mega yacht to very soon, we're going to have a super yacht trip with one of the best luxury companies in the world. And so oh that's going to blow goodness. people's mind. Where is this? In yeah. As and, well, no, the super yacht trip is going to be through Europe. So it's going to be a trans, a transatlantic, like a one way trip from one destination to another.
0: Oh, um, wow. and some
1: of the stops on there are going to include some of the hottest poppin' cities in Europe. And so that's going to be released, um, hopefully by the end of the month. Um, but everything is just always about, for me, it's about visualizing something and being able to execute it, but not just execute it, but just rise above what people were expecting and delivering this ultimate experience is always the goal.
0: So do you think that like this adrenaline rush where you've like been able to abandon fear was the impetus of that? Quitting
1: your job? Uh, Quitting my job was probably more about not being happy. I am definitely a happy, feely type of person. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel wanted anymore. And so I went through this emotional feeling where I felt very loved and nurtured at my job. I loved my job. I was a sales executive and I presented to people and I did what I always wanted to do as a kid, which was teach. I taught executives about how we can help them Save money and streamline their processes. But then when I felt like I wasn't appreciated and burned, what happened was I was told at one point that I needed to wait a year for this director role, or I needed to do this to apply to this role. And it just got to the point that I'm just like, I just built this million dollar company in my part time. Like, (laughs) but I can't lead a few people That, by the way, I was always the top salesperson in the top 5% every single year. So for some reason, Becky or Susan would get promoted, you know, and and so, you know, over time that really, really kills your spirit. And I know that's something that a lot of black women and black men go through where you hit that glass ceiling where there's always something from in the beginning, I'm too abrasive. So then I become like a bee with honey. Then it's like picking something else. Oh, well. You know, you travel a lot, or it's this, it's that. It was just like always something, whether it was like a VP checking on my travel, you know. And I learned the hard way because I was open and I would share things. But I mean, over time, the reality of discrimination in the corporate world is real. And I think when I first started, I never saw that. I never felt like I was being discriminated against. And then towards the end, it just became very apparent when I looked around and it was like snow. And there wasn't many people, for people listening, snow meaning there's mostly white people. And there were not many people of color. There were no people of color in leadership. There was no people of color really in management. It was very, very slim or second to none. Hmm. And just what I felt was the treatment of myself. I mean, at the very end, I was getting told I needed to fill out a form to get permission to work up in your life.
0: Oh my goodness! That is, you know, similar situation in my last assignment when I was um when I was working in Qatar. I won't say the name of the organization, but it's. I thought that leaving, like, working in a place that's thirteen thousand kilometers from home would make me immune to like white supremacy in the workplace. The most white people Mm -hmm. I've worked with ever in my life, and the microaggressions are just like it's like. You're, you're damned if you're the silent Black woman or if you're the vocal Black woman. <laughs> it's Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. you damned if you don't. Well, I'm probably... Um, I'm probably blackballed now because my last year there, I just let the Uzi spray professionally. But I was not, (laughs) I was just like, no, I'm done, yo. So, okay, I have another question because being a CEO, you are so many things to so many people. What are you actually Mm -hmm. doing to actually decompress and like, what's your self care regimen?
1: Yeah. So right now, so since the accident, I've been taking a lot of time off. Um, Initially after the accident, I really couldn't work. I worked a very minimal amount of hours, a few hours. I wasn't able to work. So what happened was it forced my team to really step it up and take care of things. Um, It was very painful as a business, you know, for those few months, just trying to move and remove Claire out of everything. Right. Mm -hmm. But What has happened is that now we're at a point where things are moving fairly smooth. We've got some major projects now um, that will just leap us into, like, 2025, I feel like, with how we're going to process. Wow. Yeah, so so since my accident, I don't work as often as I used to. I have days that I do sprints, and then I have times that I may only work um, in a very limited capacity from managing what the team is doing, which is only a couple hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, my self care routine at this moment is related to sleep as much as I feel tired. So, if I feel tired in a the day, then I may reschedule. A lot of it right now, since like breaking my leg, you know, like I still can't walk more than like five blocks. So,
0: oh, you know, I, saw I have your given myself. Your <laughs> I saw you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Bless
0: your heart. Yeah, I walked
1: to get coffee today. So, it was really nice. I walked like three yeah. blocks, three blocks back. So, I walked one block further today. But, um, so my self care now is, um, my philosophy is resting is doing, that is something that I don't think is talked about enough. Like my philosophy before was just like, push, 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 push. And I feel like I hit several brick walls in the last two years, um, from just working like 40 to 70 hours a week. But honestly, that probably, some of that did get me to where I am now where I don't have to work at that pace. So from self-care this year, what I've implemented is meditation. I meditate every single day
0: and an um, I started time. on
1: like January. Do you do it at a appointed time? Uh, so I usually do it every morning whenever I wake up. I don't have a set wake up time. I used to get up at like 5 a.m. Now I just get up whenever. And so that can vary from I get up at four o'clock in the morning to I get up at this morning was at 830. But I meditate a minimum of five minutes a day. My goal is to get up to 20. Um, This week I've been working on doing 15 minute intervals. So I do meditations and body scans. Um, I also do weekly therapy with a therapist um, remotely. I started that maybe like, what'd you say?
0: I said, (laughs) amen.
1: Yeah, so shout out to therapyforblackgirls.com. If you go there, you can look for a therapist. And if you're abroad like me, you can click on virtual. I have to tell you like, getting into therapy was the best single investment that I have made in myself, probably in my entire life. Really? Um, yes. And because not only has it improved my personal relationships, but it's also allowed me to be, I believe it's allowing me to be a better leader at work because my compassion and my ability to speak to people is getting better my ability to have more stronger boundaries in my friendships and business relationships is better. So one is, so just being able to speak for myself and to be clear and concise about things like is definitely like an era where I felt like my whole life, a lot of it was spent holding everything in. So my throat chakra was always in pain. Um, mm-hmm. And even like, there's still challenges I have, but, I think with anything, like even from a business perspective, being able to have those tough conversations and being able to be transparent about it versus like I came from corporate and I just remember like a lot of the backstabbing. And one of the things that just bothered me in corporate is my boss not being a hundred percent with me. And then you don't find out till later, like there's a whole slew of issues that you're like, wait, what? Um, So definitely being in therapy, also getting massages. I have a spa membership here in Mexico. Oh, gosh, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, so they have hydrotherapy. They also give you a certain amount of free massages. And then, you know, on the beach here, it's like $25 to get a whole hour massage. So I do that as often as possible. I also have a U.S. membership for spa. What is it, Massage Envy? Oh, I'll <laughs> But so, yeah, so my self-care is uh, boundaries too. Boundaries are extremely important. Boundaries to friends, boundaries to business relationships, because I think people don't have enough boundaries. We let people treat us however we let them contact us whenever they want to. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff you have to do to like protect yourself.
0: Yeah. And if you don't draw a line, people will scribble, scrabble all over it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> scribble, scrabble. Oh my goodness. So, okay, we didn't actually mention where you live. So a little bit of backstory. So you, you're originally from the DMV area. You moved to Oakland yes. at one point um, when you were establishing up in the air life. And now you finally like become a black broad abroad in Mexico a few years back. So what made you yes. select, um, is it Playa del Carmen where you live? Yes, I'm still in Playa del Carmen. Okay. So what made you select Playa del Carmen as a home? And what is the Black expat community like there?
1: Yeah, so I decided to move to Playa Carmen probably for two fundamental reasons. Uh, One of my best friends lives here, and he's got a son. And so being able to to see him on a daily basis. Yes, international (laughs) swagger and his son, and just being able to yeah like baking cookies with his son we went to the pier the other day watched sunset and he raced me in my scooter (laughs) and he held my dog and played with sassy so that plus there's a whole family of black women here so once i had met them it was like a slam dunk because there's a whole community here of women who are married single with kids without kids um and also men too there's probably i estimate like a hundred of black um black expats here on any given Sunday, if we get together, we're probably 20 to 30 deep. Oh, um, wow. And so, yeah, and so it's really nice. And then most people here, I mean, a lot of them have their own online businesses, whether they're black or, you know, any white or whatever race they are, there's a whole expat community. Mexico is actually the number one place that Americans go to be an expat because the visa is a six month visa on arrival and you can just leave and come right back. So it's a lot easier to make a life here. And it's close to the U S that you can just pop back when you need to.
0: Oh yeah. That's important. Like I'm, it's difficult sometimes being so far away from my family. Like now I'm in South yeah. Africa before I was in Qatar. Like those are like super far from home. So I could see that. Yeah. So and uh, then
1: one more thing too is, um, So specific reasons, cost of living, the same bougie life I had in San Francisco, I probably pay one eighth or one tenth (laughs) what I was paying. Um, And so cost of living here, being close proximity to the beach and the water for a lot of people is calming. The atmosphere is very laid back, so it feels very much more zen here. Nobody's in a rush. Um, Also, just having an international network. I mean, if you go to any of these co-working places, you're going to meet people from all over the world, all different backgrounds. So the connections are pretty serious. So um, if I give you like my top five of why I live in Mexico, number one, cost of living. So the same life that I had in Oakland, California, I can have that at a fraction of the cost. You know, in Oakland, California, my rent was close to $4,000. My rent here is close to a little over $1,000 a month. So that in itself is a $3,000, $336,000 savings. The cost of food here is dramatically cheaper. Um, Two is connections. Like when you start to think about living abroad, um, Mexico, by the way, is the number one place for expats, as I mentioned. And so you're meeting people that are stepping outside the box. You're not meeting traditional people, but they're people that most likely work online, most likely are doing something that you can learn from. Um, And then also just being in a Zen place. I mean, most people are highly stressed if you live in a major city or just in life in general. Um, If you are in the States, I remember my commute alone was about two and a half hours of my day. So you move from a place where you're a few blocks from the beach, it's very breezy, it's very relaxing. So your stress level goes down, your productivity most likely goes up. And so it's putting you in a different headspace to propel yourself to where you need to be.
0: Oh, that's, uh, that's amazing. So what advice would you give to an aspiring Black Broad Abroad that is thinking about taking um, the leap and becoming an expat? Do it. So
1: I think to prepare yourself, you probably need to figure out where you want to go. So there's resources on that. Um, and so one thing you can do is you can join or reach out to any Black expats that you already know because you do want to get more information about your destination because certain areas like if you go to China, there's other cultural phenomena that you're going to have to deal with if you live there. So number one, reach out to someone that you know. If you don't know anybody, then I would definitely join a Black travel group. There's no madness. There's up in the air life. There's Black travel movement. Join those groups and post that you want to live abroad and ask to connect with someone. Talking to someone, I think, is the best way to get information because you're going to want to know how much housing is going to cost and how much your budget is. Um, Number two, you want to make sure you can work remote. If you're not working remote, you need to figure out how you can generate income remotely. Because when you go to these countries, you cannot work unless you have a worker's visa. And I wouldn't advise to work because in a lot of these countries, if you're going somewhere where the cost of living is low, it's because the local rate may be like $5 an hour. And so, if you you couldn't make five dollars an hour and afford like a luxury apartment, but you could afford like a small room. So find out how you're gonna, you know, work remote. And number also, three, I mean, you really need I to just figure. out. Say
0: this: there also are like, um, when you are recruited to work abroad, there's a lot of um, companies that will recruit you to work abroad where you could make six-figure salaries and uh, your transportation, oh yeah, housing yeah, housing allowance is included. So um but if you are self-employed oh, I was thinking working like
1: right I was thinking like so I see some people talk about how they would come to Mexico and work in Mexico but the average rate in Mexico is like five dollars an hour oh. but like you said if you get a job like you're applying to a company to get a job as an American while you're on American soil that's a little different right how does yeah. that process work because that's actually a good point
0: Yeah, I mean, there's tons of different, like, um, professionally specific uh, recruiting agencies. As an educator, I went through, like, an international teaching agency. They have them for, like, every occupation you could possibly think of. I'll probably do an episode on that. I didn't mean to cut you off. Continue.
1: (laughs) No, that was a good point because um, that's actually a good thing to look into is trying to get a job where you would get a legit salary because Dubai and in the, in the United Arab Emirates, they have lots of those opportunities. And I'm pretty sure like in Mexico, like if you went to um, Mexico city or a large major city, you could get a job in the States or a job that would transfer you over to earn like a higher wage. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you don't, I would say you don't want to like come here wanting to waitress necessarily unless right. that's, you know, the life that you want to live. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's not what I, what I thought of. I want, I wanted to come here to like, you know, it's arbitrage. You're coming here with your American paycheck and you're able to, you know, get something as nice without having to pay
0: as much for it. Yes. Oh, that's excellent. So, okay. I'm going to ask one last question. Um, What Mm -hmm. has been the most rewarding aspect of stepping out of your comfort zone?
1: I think the most rewarding aspect is really having clients send me personal messages or emails, letting me know how much of an amazing time they had on a trip. Um, That's probably the biggest thing that makes me happy. I mean, all this is about changing lives, ultimately, Um, because, you know, I didn't quit my job to like get yelled at, you know, I quit my job to be able to have, provide people transformation and these amazing experiences. So that in itself makes me happy. Um, And that in itself is how, what drives the business pretty much.
0: Hmm. Thank you so much. Where can people get in contact with you? Can you share your social media handles and your website? Absolutely. So if they want to contact me,
1: they can go to
0: upintheairlife.com.
1: Same thing on Instagram. And then my personal page is upintheairclare.com.
0: Thank you so much. We'd love to have you on any Yes, and I'm, I'm wish you. you continue healing. <laughs> Enjoy you, as you. much as you can this downtime because I know you're about to be full steam ahead as soon as this leg heals. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting still. I haven't sit still
1: for months in a long time. Probably like a five or six years. I've never stayed in the same place for a month and a half. Oh wow!
0: Well, thank you so much. Have a good day,
1: and thank you for coming to see me at the hospital. That was just such
0: a oh, that was amazing thing to be able to see you after all this time. That was a pleasure. Thank you, honey. Bye. Bye. have a word from the lord a testimony i have a word from the lord on today this week i was feeling quite nostalgic and maybe it's because mercury has gone retrograde but i suddenly felt so much guilt for being a child bully i'd like to make a confession I once did a stand up comedy routine for my third grade show and tell, and my first joke was, What kind of perfume does Lakeisha wear? And the answer was raid. That is so me, and I just feel so ashamed at my seven year old self. Lakeisha's mom was a crackhead, and she always had the faintest hint of urine omitting from her clothes. The rape Joke just got so carried away that other students started calling her LaRocha. I know this mouth of mine has the capacity to be reckless, as evidenced by the innumerable reads I've given in my nearly four decades of life. To employers, to lovers, to friends who became foes and randoms alike. Some of y'all motherfuckers deserved it, but for those who got the occasional unwarranted read from me, I deeply apologize, soul deep. And so this message is for myself and any of my listeners that may also struggle with bridling their tongues. I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalms 141 verse 3. When you find it, say amen. I'll be reading from the King James Version of the text. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. The text goes on to say in Proverbs 18, verses 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And we see that illustrated in the unsavory joke I told about my third grade classmate, Lakeisha, who had already been traumatized as a result of the negligence of her crackhead mama and absentee father. But the power that lied in my seven-year-old tongue gravely impacted the elementary experience and what should have been a safe space at school for beloved little Lakeisha. You never know what a person is really contending with. So I encourage you as I encourage myself to speak a kind word to somebody this week. So life with the words that come out of your mouth. In the event that You are so inclined to rightfully read a bitch or cracker or co-worker. Think twice and ask yourself, are your words warranted or can you grant them a pass? Accordingly, if you've just let shit slide for far too long at work or at your home, you gotta have some fuck you money on hand before you let your chopper spray in other words you gotta kiss some ass sometimes to kick some ass choose wisely and that's it for today's sunday sermon i'll leave you with these words before i go from so-called first lady melania trump be best god bless